Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotafaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you'd like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the Giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 84321. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Good morning, Faith Church. Great to see everybody. Woo! It's a great weekend because you are here in the house. We want to welcome everybody. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's absolutely our privilege to host you. If you are faith family, man, thanks for showing up and being here. If you are, again, a first-time guest, we are glad that you decided to be here. We know it's a holiday weekend on the backside. So people at the beach, give them some love for those who are tuning in. Thanks for taking time out of the beach. We hate you that you're there, but we're glad you joined us. Awesome. Well, hey, listen, guys, we are in the last week in a series that we started three, three weeks ago entitled Weights. And kind of the subtitle of this series is this, that some things make us and some things break us. And we've been talking about exactly that, that the Bible tells us that our walk with God, our faith, that it's a spiritual journey, that it's likened to throughout Scripture like a race, like you're running a physical race, you're running a spiritual race, and that there are weights. The same way if you're running a physical weight, if you are carrying too much weight, um, it's going to slow you down. It's going to cause you maybe to drop out of the race. There are things in our spiritual journey, in our spiritual life that our weights. And some of those things are a detriment to our race. In fact, we talked about in week one, the weight of unbelief and the weight of sin, that we allow things in our heart and our life. And, you know, sometimes we minimize and don't think it's a big deal. And really, there are things that we're doing, things we're thinking, things we're living, and they're hurting our spiritual journey. They're slowing us down. Some of those things could disqualify you from your race. Week two, we talked about the weight of offense, that, you know, if you live in this world long enough, you are going to be offended. You're going to get offended. You're going to offend somebody. And sometimes that really holds people back, carrying that bitterness. And so last week we talked about some of the things that make us. Pastor Ryan brought a word, the weight of trials, that God uses some of the things we go to to stretch our faith and strengthen our faith. And so today we're going to close out this series with the weight of hope. I think the greatest thing that makes us in our spiritual journey. Before we do that, how many people love to watch some TV? How many people watch too much TV? Come on, all the people that post on Facebook, um, give me something to binge watch on Netflix. Are you kidding me? You ain't got nothing better to do than binge watch TV. I do it too. I hate it. I, good night. You go in, the, go in the room and watch like 12 seasons of something come out and it's winter. But I watch a little bit too much TV. But, you know, one of the things I love about good, uh, good television series is kind of the theme music. You know, when it opens up, man, it kind of gets you and you can memorize it. It's recognizable. I get a couple songs. When you recognize the TV series, and I'm old school, so these are old school series. So if you're a millennial, you won't recognize these and you need to go watch, watch some real TV. Anyways, but if you know it, I want you to shout it out. Let's play this first one right here. Come on, what is it? Ain't that crazy? Y'all recognize that like one, two whistles in. I love this show, but I'll be honest, I always regret that I'm not as good as a father, good of a father as Andy Griffith is. Like, I'm like, I suck at being a dad. Here's another one right here. This is a good one. Come on, what is it? Beverly Hillbilly, better known as Northwest Alabama. A story about a man named Jay. If you have chickens free wandering in your yard, I'm just saying. Great show. I mean, you got to love it. You got to love movie stars and cement ponds. Great, great one. Here's another one right here. Listen to this one. You can get some church and you listen to this. 
Everybody got to love some Jeffersons. You know, it's funny. Um, there's actually, a, it's 334. If you have, um, uh, if you have, uh, what's the Dish Network? We don't have Dish Network. What's the other one? Direct TV. 334 on Direct TV is a new, ch- a new channel. It plays all these old shows. I watched a couple um, of the Jeffersons this past week, and as I was watching it, you know, I was started thinking between like George and Alice, the cleaning lady, is a lot of mine, Pastor, relation, uh, Pastor Ryan's relationship. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure who's George some of the time, but great show. Here's another one. Listen to this one. Come on, what is it? Cheers. I mean, they made a whole show about people sitting in a bar drinking. And you guys watch it. You call yourselves Christians? What's wrong with you? We're glad you're here today. You can give your hearts to Jesus. All right, here's the last one, last one. gotta love some friends. Isn't it crazy? I mean, even if you don't like the show, you gotta like this song, because this is a great song. So here's the thing again. Here's, here's, here's why we like television shows like this, and here's what's kind of cool about them, but at the same time challenging, is they'll take a show, they'll take, and the show starts, and you hear this theme music, and they jump into a show, and in 30 minutes, really it's 22 minutes, with, um, with all the commercials, unless you're watching on Netflix, basically what they do is they take a problem, they take tension, they take a struggle, they take an issue, and they introduce it, and you get to kind of identify with the character, and you get to cry with them and laugh with them. And, you know, but at the end of every show, they fix the problem, right? They introduce a problem. There's a problem. There's an issue. Or there's a relationship issue. There's a whatever issue. And in 22 minutes, they fix the problem, unless every now and then they have a, like a to-be-continued. So if they don't fix it in one week, worst-case scenario, in 44 minutes, they fix the problem. And so while we like the shows because we like to identify with characters, we like to laugh, we like to cry, Here's the reality is life is not like that. Problems, most problems in life, we can't fix in 22 minutes. That when you go through something challenging, when you go through something difficult, the truth is none of the problems that probably you and I face are something that just kind of just fixes itself overnight. It doesn't just resolve itself. In fact, some of us, we don't go through it for 30 minutes. Sometimes we go through issues and challenges and struggles and heartache and heartbreak. We go through it for 30 weeks or 30 months. Some of you have been in a season like that, and you're wondering if it'll ever end. And so today, as we jump into this series, um, the last in this series, The Weight of Hope, I just want to speak to you and just tell you that, again, if you are facing a hard time, there is a weight that God wants you to carry that will counterbalance the weight of heartache that possibly you're facing, you're carrying. In fact, to know that we go through things is nothing really surprising. Pastor Ryan, he referenced this verse last week, but I want to jump in. Because it's actually what Jesus said. For us to face hardship and heartache and trials is something that Jesus said. In fact, notice this. He said right out of the gate, speaking, this is important, that you understand he's not speaking to a super large audience here. The conversation that Jesus is having is a very small gathering. He's talking to his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles, and these are the things he says to them. He says this. He said, I've told you all this. Come on, you got to say these two words, all this. I'm going to come back to that. So that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Now, here's what's funny about this is Jesus, he is, he said this, he declared this about himself. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So when the truth comes and tells you truth that, hey, you and I, we're going to have trials and we're going to have sorrows and you can take it to the bank. 
Now, this isn't something we like to talk about in church. This isn't something we like to shout about. Like, we like verses like this. We like verses like, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And we like bumper stickers and T-shirts. We like to say things like this, you know, I can do all things. Come on, say it, through Christ who strengthens me. You're never going to see this on a bumper sticker. You're never going to see this on a T-shirt that here on earth I'm going to have lots of trials and sorrows. But nonetheless, I want you to know this, that this is as much scripture. This is just as much truth. This is just as much Bible as the things we like to shout that you and I, and some of you, you know this because you're in it. Some of you, if you're not in it, I say this all the time. If you live life long enough, if you wake up enough mornings, if you put your feet on the floor and you do life, life will happen, which isn't always pleasant. It doesn't always make sense. Sometimes life is painful. And this is what Jesus is saying. But he jumps in and he says this, because this is, this is really big. He said, I've told you all of this, all of this, so that you can have peace in me. And so he jumps in. And so what I want to do is I want to go through some of the, all this, because it, this is kind of the end of the conversation, and it makes everything else make sense. Because I don't want to hear that I'm going to have trials. I don't want to hear that I'm going to have sorrows. You know, I found out this, that when I came to a relationship with Christ, that, that Jesus gave my life context. That I'm not just a speck on a planet in one of an infinite number of galaxies that through a random process of chemical and physical laws that I happen to evolve over time and that at some point I'm going to die and I'm just going to be worm food. Maybe that's what you were taught or maybe that's what you believe. But when I came into a relationship with Christ, and this isn't just true for me, this is true for you. What you need to know is that I was made by a creator. I was made in his image. I was made with a purpose. And ultimately my purpose is to live with him and live for him. And I'm going to live with him for all eternity. And that's some really great news. But unfortunately, as I've lived this life, I have found out that not everything that happens in my life makes sense. While Jesus has given my life context and meaning, there are things that I go through. There are things that I face. That sometimes, like, there's not a box I can put it in. Like, sometimes it doesn't fit in neat theological frames. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. It actually fits right here that it's a trial and sorrow. And I want to look and say, God, why? Why am I going through this? Why do I have to go through this? God, where are you at in this? And there are very heavy, dark times that we all go through. And Jesus said, hey, I want you to know you're going to go through it. In fact, whether you like it or not, this is a promise. See, we like the good promises. This is a promise. You will go through trials and sorrows. But if that's all he said, like, we can just cry now and go home. But that's not all he says. He says this in the context of this sandwich. He says this. He says, I've told you all of this, which means as you read the Bible, it's broken into chapters and chapters are broken into verses. But in the original... There were no chapters and verses. In fact, all of John 14, all of John 15, and most of John 16 is all one long conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And so he's ending the conversation here, but he says, referring back to John 14, 15, he says, I've said all of these things so you can have some peace. So let's look at some of the things that he said. There's lots of them. I just want to highlight a few of them. And again, I want you to remember that while Jesus is saying this, he's talking to his disciples. In fact, if you know who it is, I want to invite you to hone all the way into Peter hearing this because these are all promises that Jesus makes the disciples and makes Peter. Listen, first of all, he tells Peter, hey, Peter, I'm going to give you some big answered prayers. I just want you to know I'm going to answer some big prayers. In fact, here's specifically what Jesus says. John 14, 14, he says, yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. How many people know that's a good verse right there? 
Now, Peter's like, I mean, imagine hearing this for the first time. You're like, yeah, whatever. Like, because I prayed for the bike at Christmas and I didn't get it. Peter, he hears Jesus say, hey, disciples, hey, followers of mine, hey, Peter, you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Fast forward, fast forward to just about, uh, about a month after this. Peter's walking into church one day, and there's a guy holding a sign, we'll work for food, hungry, help me. He's, he's, he can't walk. He's been crippled his entire life. Peter walks up to him, and he says, bro, I ain't got no bank, but there's one thing I have that in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, and the guy gets up leaping and walking and praising God because he asked something big, and God answered something big. I promise you, listen, I promise you when that happened, I think, because it was Peter and John, I think Peter looked at John and said, remember what Jesus said, that if we ask anything in his name, anything, he would do it all. Like, I just would start making a list right there. Here's another one. Here's another thing, one of these things that Jesus promised. He promised them a productive ministry. Now, I just want to say this to you because this is important. I think this applies to us. I never think that our life should be minimized to that we show up on Sunday morning and we sit in a seat and we listen to a guy talk to us and or at us and we never just sit and listen to some music and go home. God wants your life as a Christ follower to encompass all of who you are, all of what you do, all of how you live, and that as you walk out this faith, it truly is an influence in the world that you live and you can change and influence people and atmospheres and environments. God wants us to make a difference in the world that we live and not just a little difference, a big difference. He said, listen, if you follow me, you're going to have a productive ministry. Here's actually what he said. This is big. He said, yes, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, read it with me, will produce not just a little bit of fruit, a lot of fruit, much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Fast forward, right? So again, just about a month after Jesus says this to Peter, Peter is preaching for the very first time. I remember I preached for the first time and fumbled and bumbled my way through a couple of scriptures, was scared to death and wandered off the stage when it was over and thank God I was through. First time Peter stood up and preached, you know what happened? 3,000 people got saved. He went preaching a couple days later and another 2,000 people got saved. I am throat punching Peter when I get to heaven. Are you kidding me? (laughs) But you better believe when he stood up and preached and 3,000 people got saved, I think he was remembering this. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, man, if I'm hooked in with him, that I'm going to have much fruit. Here's another promise. Hated by the world. Not a popular one, by the way. Not one we pray for, but a promise nonetheless. Jesus said, listen, you're going to be hated by this world. In fact, he said specifically these words. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. If you decide to be a light in this world that's full of darkness, if you decide to speak truth in the world that sometimes is upside down and confused about truth, you will be hated. Peter experienced this on a regular basis. Here's another promise. Religious persecution and death. Again, probably not top of his list, but a promise nonetheless. In fact, here's what Jesus said to Peter and said to his disciples. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming, watch this, the time is coming when, not if, when those who kill you think that they're doing a holy service for God. I mean, can you imagine the disciples sitting there listening to Jesus say this, that, hey, uh, religious leaders, they're going to persecute you, and when they kill you, did he just say when? Did he say, is he talking to all of us or just you? Can I take a bathroom break and be excluded from this? Because I want you to know, Peter experienced the fulfillment of this promise. Right after he healed the guy in front of the temple, he was arrested. He was put into prison. 
by religious leaders that didn't like him preaching in the name of Jesus. At the end of his life, actually what ended his life is Peter was crucified upside down. Not just Peter, but every single one of the disciples except John, and they tried to kill John and couldn't. Every single one of the disciples were speared to death, filleted to death, had their heads cut off, on and on, because Jesus made promises and fulfilled them. Here's another one. Jesus was leaving. Now, this may not be big news, but for them, they thought Jesus was going to be around forever. They thought Jesus showed up to establish this worldly kingdom, and like they were going to rule and reign with him. And when he looked at him and said, hey, I'm Audi, they're like, wait, what? We thought you were here to stay. You're leaving? In fact, Jesus says this multiple times, but here specifically he says it, John 16, 5, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. Now, this was shocking news to them, again, because they thought Jesus would be there. But he looks at me, makes a promise, hey, I'm not going to be here for long. I'm out of here. Here's another one. He'll send them another comforter. Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. This is really great news. He said, I'm out of here, but when I leave, I'm sending you another one. The word here is this word, alos. It's another one just like me. The same way I was with you and I brought you comfort and encouragement and instruction and teaching. When I leave, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you grew up in a mainline church, and there's the Father, the Son, and then this thing, this force, this weird thing, the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is a person in the Trinity, just like God the Father, just like God the Son. God the Holy Spirit lives in us and is with us and gives us power and strength and joy and peace, and he is God with us. And so just fast forward, because again, about a month after Jesus said these words, 120 disciples were praying in an upper room, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit showed up in that place and filled each and every one of them exactly like God promised. One more. One more. Jesus said he's going to play some hide and go seek with them. Again, he says this. He says, uh, but in, uh, John, uh, John 16, 7, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. Last one. He says, you won't see me. Then you will. Then you won't again. Kind of weird, but again, here's actually what he said to him. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But in a little while after that, you'll see me again. What he's referring to is that he was with him then. He would die and be gone three days in the tomb. And then the resurrection. And then, wait, we thought you were dead. And here you are again. You were gone. You came back. And then he went to be with the Father. Here's why this is important. This is why. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, you're going to go through some pretty crappy things in life. In fact, when he uses the word trials, he says, you're going to go through sorrows and trials. The word trials is a picture of a wine press smashing the life out of grapes. He says, you're going to go through things in life that feel like it's crushing you. It's going to feel like a weight that's squeezing the life out of you. Jesus isn't talking about bounce checks and arguments in the morning before you come to church, kicking the dog and yelling at the kids. He's talking about big problems like some of you have lost children. Some of you have miscarried. Things you've always wanted you can't get and things you never wanted now you're facing. And he's saying, listen, these things, he said, they're coming your way. He said, but I'm trying to establish a trend that... I'm making you promises, and you're going to see each and every one of these promises fulfilled so that when you face the sorrows and trials, you're going to know that I'm going to fulfill that promise too, that you can take heart because I am with you. You can have peace in me even if you don't have peace in this world. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's establishing street cred with the disciples. He's saying God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. 
I made a promise I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I sent him. I made a promise you're going to be productive in ministry. You're productive in ministry. I made a promise the world's going to hate you, and the world ended up hating you. I made a promise that I'm not going to be with you, and I left. I made a promise I'd be gone, and you'd see me. I left, and you see me. So I've made another promise that you're going to have sorrows and trials. But you can take heart because I've overcome the world. Like that's a promise that we need to hang on to. And again, Jesus is establishing this street cred, this credibility in being a promise maker and a promise keeper. I don't know if you guys know this, but like when I first went into ministry, like at least, I, I don't know, for me, like I found, I figured that, you know, like pastors would have all the answers. Seriously, I mean, I thought there would be a class I would take in Bible college and it would be called like all the answers people need. And like there would be a book that when someone loses a baby, turn to page 23. When someone goes through divorce, turn to page for real. And I never took that class in college. And then when I went into ministry, I thought, okay, it must not be a class like the old pastors must have it and they must pass it down. For real. And I thought like, what do you say when someone calls you and says, hey, mom just passed away. Will you come at the hospital and be with us? Like what's the thing you say that makes it all better? When a young couple that's been trying to get pregnant for years, finally announces the good news, we're pregnant. And eight weeks into the pregnancy, they call you and say, hey, um, we lost a baby last night. Like, what's the thing that makes it okay? And I was hoping like someone would tell me that. And, I, and nobody ever told me. Because here's why. Because sometimes things happen in life that a catchphrase, a bumper sticker, a t-shirt, a quip, a coat, a quote, a religious little phrase just doesn't make it all better. In this world, you will have weight-crushing, overwhelming, heartbreaking, life-crushing things that we're going to go through. But Jesus said, what I want you to know is, I told you those things are coming, but in the middle of it, listen, I want you to know that you can take heart, you can have peace. God, can I have peace? Yeah, because I have been a promise maker and a promise keeper, and if I made that promise, I'm going to keep that one too. So he goes on again, listen, he says, I've told you all this so you may have peace in me here on earth. Some translations say here in this world. This is really good because that means there's two worlds. There's this world that's full of sickness and disease and brokenness and heartache and bigotry and war and rape and child slavery and all kinds of things that we can't imagine, all kinds of things that you and I have gone through. He's saying there's this world, but there's another world. And I want you to know that this world, this world is falling apart. But there's another world that's coming together because at the beginning of John 14, Jesus said, hey, I'm with you now, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. You're not going to stay in this broken world. I'm taking you to another world where everything's going to be okay. That's the promise you have. And where you focus, what world you focus on will determine what your faith is. Because if you put your hope in this world that, hey, it's just always going to work out and everything's going to come together and you're always going to be well and you're always going to have money in the bank and your family's always going to be together and life's always going to be good and there's always going to be shiny sun in the sky and strawberries on the ground. Jesus said, no. And I know you don't want to hear this. I know you want to come to church and you want to be the cheerleader. And I am because I'm a realist that life will happen. And when it happens to you, I want you to be able to take heart. I want you to be able to hold on to something. I want you to have some stability in your spiritual journey. See, I, again, Jesus, he's establishing this, this ability, again, that he's a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. Because I don't know about you guys, at least me, I'm not a great, I want to be a person of my word, but I'm not always a person of my word. Especially with my kids. My kids, when my kids ask me for something, 
And it doesn't work for me, but maybe it'll work for you. So you can take it and maybe use it. When my kids ask me for something, my answer is always maybe. Hey, Dad, can we go? Hey, Dad, will you do? Maybe. Which is usually me saying no, but I just don't want to say no and have to describe why I'm saying no, so I give them a little bit of hope. But here's what I found out. When my kids hear maybe, they hear yes. In fact, they just don't hear yes. Somehow in there, they hear I promise. I'm, this is crazy. I'm telling you the truth. Dad, can we go to the swimming pool tomorrow? Ah, maybe. And then when tomorrow it doesn't happen, they're like, Dad, you promised we were going to the swimming pool. And it doesn't matter how much I argue, it's what they hear. And here's why, it's, here's why that's really bad, and this is, I'm telling you the truth, is because sometimes when I tell them something I want them to believe, they're like, well, you didn't keep your promise last time. And I feel like, because I want to be a person of my word. But I'm just going to tell you the truth. Sometimes I don't keep my word. Sometimes I can't keep my word because the circumstances beyond my ability. What Jesus is trying to establish, what he's trying to show us, what, what he wanted ingrained in Peter, what he wanted ingrained in the disciples, what he wanted ingrained in every one of us in this room is, yes, sometimes life will be painful. Yes, you will go through things you wish you didn't have to go through. But in the middle of dark, terrible storms of life, Jesus is saying, you can take heart. You can have peace because I've made a promise. I have overcome the world. And so... There's a, I want us to change gears. There's another book we're going to look at. It's the book of Hebrews, and there's a section of Scripture we've got to turn to. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, let me just tell you, so a lot of the books in the New Testament, they are named after either who wrote the book or who the book is written to. So, for example, the Gospel of Matthew is written by Matthew, the Epistle of James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. They're all written by John, written by Peter. Again, some are named after who they're written to, so a lot of the books like 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Colossians, Philippians, they are written to a group of believers in a city or region. So 1st and 2nd Corinthians is written to the believers in the city of Corinth, etc. The book of Hebrews is a little bit different than any other book in the New Testament because we don't know who wrote it. And we really don't know exactly who it's written to. But we know this, and here's why it's called the book of Hebrews, because it's written specifically to Hebrew Christians, which probably none of us are. If you are, you're Jewish and you came to Christ, then you were the exception probably in this room. But it's important, and I'm going to try, do my best for a few minutes to maybe explain part of this, but here's why it was written. Because the Hebrew people had a long history of God making promises and keeping promises. And so the writer of Hebrews is pointing to how faithful God has been and all the things that God has done. But the whole point of the book is one word. It comes to one word. The book of Hebrews is about better. Everybody shout better. We like good things, but you know what, like, what we like better than good is better. The whole book of Hebrews is about better. For example, they said, the writer of Hebrews said, hey, you had Moses who was a deliverer and he brought our people out of the nation of Egypt and brought us into the promised land, but you have a better Moses. You have a better deliverer and you have a better promised land. We have an eternal promised land. It's all about the priests and what they did. He said, we have a better priest. We have Jesus, who is our great high priest, who always intercedes at the right hand of the Father for us. It's about the sacrifices that were made. And he said, we have a better sacrifice. This is the best part. Because you, could you imagine, in order to get forgiveness of your sins right now, like you've got to go get a dove and cut, like break its neck and rip its head off? Like, I'm out. I don't know if I want forgiveness that bad. They would have to get lambs, and they would, kill the, they would slaughter the lambs. It was the blood of the sacrifice that covered their sins. He said, we have a better sacrifice. There's been a sacrifice that's been made in who Jesus is and what he's done that was enough sacrifice once, forever, for all people. He is, come on. 
He's the sacrifice for the sin of the entire world. So it's all about better, but here's why the book's important. Here's why we're going to turn here. Because he introduces the book, the writer of the book of Hebrews introduces it this way. Hey, God has spoken to the people of the nation of Israel through generations, through many different ways. But in these last days, he's spoken through his son, Jesus. And here's why they needed to hear everything he writes. Because they were going through exactly what Jesus said. They were going through sorrows and trials. They were going through tremendous persecution. People were losing their lives for their faith. And people started tapping out like, I, I can't do this. Like, God, where are you at? God, why aren't you changing this? God, why are you letting me go through this? Like, life started to stop making sense. Like, things got good when they found out Jesus loved them and Jesus died for them. But because life happened, because they went through sorrows and trials, like, they said, I'm out. People started abandoning the faith. People started backsliding. People started leaving church. And so the writer of Hebrews says, hey, listen, you need to know this. Life's going to happen. Sorrow's going to come your way. But we have a better and he says this in Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to be here just a few minutes. He goes on. He says, for example, remember, God's a, he's a promise maker and he's a promise right here. He goes into it. He says, hey, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, he says, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply you and, or multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and received what God had promised. So he's writing to the Hebrew nation, to the Hebrew people who are now Christians, saying, hey, remember how we got here? God took one man named Abraham and said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so stinking much that you're going to have wealth and prosperity and your name's going to be great. And I'm going to multi even though you're an old man, I'm going to multiply you into a great people. And like they're reading it and they're like, wait, we're here because God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. He made a promise to Abraham and God kept the promise. So it's setting this trend, promise maker, promise keeper. He says, for example, in Abraham, and he goes on, he says this. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. I swear to God, I swear on my mother's grave, right? People try to convince us that they're true because they swear on something greater than themselves. Remember what God swore, and God swore on the highest thing there is. He swore on his own name. He says, and it's without question that when people make those oaths that it's binding. But God has also bound himself to an oath so that those who've received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Let me ask you a question. What's the promise that he made? What's the promise that he made that you could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind, that he would keep the promise? Here's the promise. You're going to have trials and sorrows in this world, but you can take heart because I've overcome the world. So I want you to know, he's saying, he's saying, you're going through stuff that doesn't make sense. You wish you didn't want to have to go through it. He's saying, but I want you to know, God's made an oath to you. God's made a promise to you and you can hang on to it. You can be sure that God's never going to change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. I want you all to say those two words, great confidence. If you are in the middle of something that doesn't make sense, keeps you up at night or you cry yourself to sleep, that you wish somehow you could get out of, or if life is perfect, I'm just telling you, if you live life long enough, eventually something will happen that won't make sense, that won't fit in a neat church box, it can't be fixed by a neat church slogan, that you will feel overwhelmed. 
you will feel like your life is being crushed. And when those times happen, the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, just like he did that group, I want you in the middle of all of it, when you're trying to figure it out, I want you to have great confidence. As we hold to the hope that lies within us. This last verse. He says, this hope, this hope that I'm talking about, he says, it's a strong and trustworthy anchor for your souls. And it leads us, this, this anchor, it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. I'll talk about that in a minute, but he's saying, listen, here's, here's the comparison he's made. He's saying life, this world is like an ocean and storms are gonna come and waves are gonna roar. He said, in your life, you're like the boat. And sometimes, man, you're going to sail on smooth waters. And, man, it's going to be beautiful, sunny days. But sometimes the storms of life are going to come your way. And your boat is going to be rocked and shaken. And at times, like the disciples, when they were on the sea, you're going to feel like you're going to drown. You're about to feel like your life is going under. And the thing that's going to hold you together, the thing that's going to give your life, and even the hard times, context and meaning, is the hope. It's like an anchor. Several years ago, my wife and I, we went on our first cruise. Any cruisers in the house? That's their term. Once you cruise, you're a cruiser. We were cruisers for several years. I mean, I feel like, I feel like I'm uppity when I said I'm a cruiser. We were cruisers for several years. And the first one we ever went on, like, I had never really been on a boat for a long period of time. Like, I'd been on a, you know, a boat going down a little river or a stream, you know, kayak. But I'd never been out to sea. And I was like, I heard people get seasick. I wasn't sure if I would be one of those people, so I was trying to figure out what to expect. Here's what's funny. Everybody's like, oh, you're never even going to feel the waves. In fact, we were on the largest uh, ship in the fleet. You're never even going to feel the waves. And I'm like, okay. So we sign up. We go in this cruise, first cruise we have ever been on. After it was over, everybody said, that was the worst cruise I was ever on. The week before, there had been a hurricane in the region. The storms were still present. I'm telling you, it was, it was awful. Like you're trying to eat your steak and it's sliding down on the table. We're going back to our room at the end of the night, walking down the hallway, looking like drunk, look like we part, look like we shut the club down. We're bouncing off the walls for real. I promise you, it was horrible. Couldn't sleep in bed because the waves would roll you off. At one night, they had to tell us, this is the largest ship in the fleet that we got put behind a day. Do you know why? Because they had to drop anchor that the ship could not compete with the storms and continue to move momentum. So in order to keep from being pushed backwards in the storm, they had to drop anchor. I had no idea really what anchors do. I've heard of them. I know you drop them off a boat. You know what anchors do? When an anchor goes down, it doesn't set like that. The goal of an anchor, if it's made right, is to fall down. That, as the waves and the storm of life push against the boat, it pulls the chain, and it'll eventually dig in. And the heart of the chain pulls the more it digs in to the bedrock, whatever's at the bottom of the ocean, that that ship in the middle of a storm, in the middle of being pulled, in the middle of feeling like it's falling apart, it does not move. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, in the middle of your storm, Jesus said it was coming, but you can take heart because you have an anchor for your soul. It's hope. Hope in what? Hope that it's going to be okay. Hope that they're going to fix it. Hope that they're going to have a cure. No. Because everything you put your hope in in this world, it's falling apart. But there's another world. It's coming together. He says, this is what our hope is. He said, again, you have a strong and trustworthy anchor for your souls. It leads us 
through the inner curtain of God's sanctuary. You say, what is that? Again, we're not Hebrew people. They knew exactly what the writer was referring to. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people, their first church was called the tabernacle. And only the priests would actually go into the tabernacle. Everybody else stood outside. And inside of the tabernacle, it was divided into two sections. There was the holy place and the most holy place. The most holy place was where God hung out. Like God's presence was there. And only one person, the high priest, could go into the most holy place once a year. One person once a year. That's it. And they would go in there and they would make a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the nation during the Day of Atonement. And they would wipe the blood onto what was called, this, it was this box. Have you ever seen, right? The Ark of the Covenant. It was a way of saying, God, our sins are covered. Our sins are atoned for. But when Jesus came, some of you know this, some of you have heard the story, but let me tell you, when Jesus came, when he died on the cross, what happened the moment he died? I'm, crazy stuff. I'm telling you, crazy. The Bible says, man, darkness came over the entire region. Earthquakes happened. People walked out of the grave. I don't know if you believe it or not. I believe it because Jesus did some other crazy things. But one of the craziest things that happened was the temple was right down the road where the Jewish people worshiped. There was this curtain that the, that the writer's talking about. And when Jesus, when he gave up the ghost, when he died, when his life finished on the cross, when he said, it is finished, the Bible says in that moment, this curtain split from the top and ripped all the way to the bottom which is a picture of God saying, you didn't reach up to me, I reached down to you. And the curtain that separated ordinary people from the presence of God, it's gone. And because Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for our sin, every person, every moment of every day has access to come into a presence of a God who loves us and is with us and is for us and is on our side, who fought our battles, who's given us victory. That's the hope we have. And so he says this, he goes on, listen, First John, he goes, he says this, we're about to close. He says, so God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. See, because here's the questions you ask when you go through tough times. God, where are you at? God, why don't you do something? When God answers, he says, I am with you and I did do something. See, what I want everybody to know is the writer of Hebrews is not saying this and I'm not saying this. We are not saying Hey, heaven's going to be here. Everything's going to look, work out. I'm telling you, we don't look forward. We look backwards. Because on the pinnacle of the timeline in the history of humanity, there is an old rugged cross that stands. And it is the declaration that God loves you, that God did something for you, that God does care about you, because it is by the cross of Calvary that he demonstrated he loves us. He demonstrated that we are forgiven. He made a way because of what he did that we are forgiven and we have access to God's presence. So he goes on, he says, this is real love. Not that we love God. See, our faith is not fixed on how you feel about God, but what God has done for us. See, your feelings change. My feeling, I, I want to love God all the time, but I'm just going to tell you, I love God more when things are better in my life. Come on, can I just be real? When my bills are paid and I got money in the bank and we're going on vacation, I love me some Jesus. But when some of you are going crazy and people leaving the church and my life's falling apart and my kids won't listen to me, and like I'm like, Jesus, I love you, but... He said, it's not about how you feel about me. It's about what I've done for you. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So our anchor, your anchor, when life is painful, is not that it's going to work out. 
but that you have hope in what Jesus has done for you, and it's finished. There's a couple in our church, and some of you guys, many of you guys, I know know them, some of you at least know of them, maybe you've been praying for them. Tim and Tina Hammonds, a couple in our church, great couple. About three years ago, she got a diagnosis that she had cancer. And you know, early on, and I hate cancer. I'm telling you, as a pastor, I hate, I can't tell you. Like when I hear it, every time I hear when someone says, Pastor, I got cancer, I hear like this rage just comes up in me. Like if, I'm telling you, if cancer was a thing, I would choke it. I just despise it. I despise what it does to people, what it does to families, what it does. I just hate it. And so to hear that Tina had cancer, I mean, I just broke for her. But man, she fought the fight. And like a lot of people who get cancer, they go see doctors and specialists and they hope that some, something's going to work it out. And she went through the thing and it didn't work out. And she went from there to see other specialists at MD Anderson and they might have the answer and it, it didn't work out. For a season, she thought she was in remission and came back fierce. In fact, Tina and Tim, they're in church on a regular, I mean, this, you know, some people get a headache and don't come to church. I'm telling you, this lady's been battling cancer for three years and rarely misses a service. In fact, for the last several months, she does not eat solid food because of her cancer. Like, I'd tap out there. But here's the craziest thing, is when you talk to Tim and Tina Hammonds, she don't talk about how sick she is, she don't talk about how bad it is. She talks about, man, I just, I'm just trusting God. Man, God's our peace. God's our strength. I'm telling you the truth. You might, I don't know if you do, but I know sometimes people look at pastors as supernatural people. I'm just like you. But you might look at me and be like, man, I wish I had faith like Pastor Steve. I'm just telling you, I wish I had faith like Tina Hammond. I'm telling you. And it is absolutely clear in the storms and in the sorrows and trials that Jesus said would come, and she's in one. You know what's holding her together? It's not that she might be healed. It's not that chemotherapy might come through. I, we're praying it does. What her hope is in is something that will not change. It's an unchangeable vow that God's made. Is that she's locked in. Her anchor is Christ. And that's not going to change. And some of you in this room, and man, you're on a dark storm of life. I promise you. I'm glad you have friends. I'm glad you have doctors. I'm glad you have accountants and physicians and people that will help you. And all that is good stuff. But we, as human beings, are frail. We cannot always be counted on. We can't always come through, but there is one who's demonstrated his love for you and his sacrifice is fixed forever in eternity on your behalf. And our hope is in Christ. I wanna pray for you. Father, I come in the name of Jesus and I pray for every person in this room. God, because I know some here and some watching online, God, they are facing a dark storm of the night facing something they never imagined, something they never wished for, something they're trying to find a way out of. God, I pray in Jesus' name that everyone in this room, God, those who aren't facing anything now, but God, there's something maybe on the horizon. God, maybe something around the corner that God, when it comes, God, I pray that you would be our hope in you, our hope in your finished work would be the anchor of our soul. That when the storms of life are raging, we can still be found secure. When things around us don't make sense, there's one thing that we can hold on to, and that's Christ. And so listen, all across this room, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said yes to what he offers, that he died for you, he loves you, and he offers you hope that this world could never provide. If you've never said yes to him, just before we close, I wanna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna close this in prayer, and if you say, Pastor Steve, 
I want to give my life to Christ today. I want the hope that you're talking about. I want the forgiveness that you've mentioned. It's available to every person that will just say yes. And so if you want included in this prayer, I want you to lift a hand real bold and real high and say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to, I want to put my trust and my hope in what he's done for me. I want you to lift a hand real high if that's you. And I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to pray for you and with you all over this room if that's you. Come on, lift it up real high so I can see you. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Then we're going to close in this prayer. And if you lifted a hand or if you didn't, then I want you to say this prayer. I'm going to lead you. And all together, we're going to say it out loud. Every voice. Come on, let's just declare what he said for us. Say, Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died for me so I could have life and forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life and save me and make me your child. I put my hope in you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Can we lose our mind for about four or five people in this place? Hey, listen, guys, thanks so much for being here today. Listen, on your way out, if, again, if you're a first-time guest, we're glad that you're here. Do us a favor and stop by the VIP booth. If you're here and you're going through a tough time, we have people in our prayer and care room that would love to pray with you if you need it. You can stop by there. Listen, again, next week is a great week to invite a friend. God at the box office, it's a very friendly service. It's life-changing. We promise God's going to be here, but it's a lot of fun. Bring somebody with you. Our kids' ministry is doing a mirror uh, series. So it's going to be great for the kids too. So make sure you're here next week as we launch God at the box office. God bless you guys. Have a great week.